Well, friends, we have a very important topic today. And as I said yesterday, I cannot think of a more important time for the existence of Adventist education than today. Can you say amen? There is nothing more important than I can think of for us to be doing than to be raising up our children to meet their soon-coming Savior. And Adventist education, in conjunction with the home and the church, plays a vital role in that process of bringing up our children. So we're going to fly today. We have a lot to cover. Buckle up, and let's ask the Lord to be with us. Oh, Father in heaven, you know that I don't have anything to offer, but you have everything to offer. And so again, Lord, I ask that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would cleanse me from sin, that you would make me a fit vessel to share the words that you have prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. What is an investment? Well, the dictionary defines investment to mean the investing of money or capital in order to gain profitable returns as interest, income, or the appreciation in value. Most people are quite interested in investments. They watch the stock market. You see it on the news. The NASDAQ, the Dow, is up this many points today, and it's in green. Good news. Or... Conversely, red color, bad news. The market's going down, and people watch this and are very interested because they have invested funds in the stock market, and they want to see a return. Some people invest in different things that are not necessarily monetary. They invest in real estate. Uh, some invest in antiques, such as cars. If you're familiar with the name Jay Leno, he has 169 cars that he views as an investment, a caretaker of these, these uh, valuable antique cars. Some people invest in clocks. We have a dear friend of our family who invests and has antique clocks. Some people invest in paintings, and so on, and so on. The greatest challenge, however is knowing whether or not an investment is going to bring a good return. Is the investment going to make money? Is it something that when I put in this chunk of money, I'm going to see a greater return of money once I sell the item, the stock, or whatever it may be? The million-dollar question on the minds of most investors is that very thing. Am I going to come out ahead, or am I going to come out behind? It's a difficult thing to know. Some individuals have stressed and worried so much about it that it has motivated them to, to try to set themselves up so that an investment can be profitable to them, even if it means they have to do something illegal. You've probably heard of the name Bernie Madoff and the Ponzi scheme that fraudulently was set up to bring money in, and yet the money was not being invested legitimately. 
and the returns given to the investors, no new investor money that was coming in was actually being used to pay dividends to other investors. And in the process, billions and billions of dollars were being stolen from individuals who were investing. Prosecutors estimated the fraud to be worth $64.8 billion based on the amounts in the accounts of Madoff's portfolio. Some 4,800 clients back in 2008. Estimated cash losses were $17.5 billion. Now, thankfully, about 76% of this $17.5 billion was recovered. However, 25% of that, which you could do the calculation, is a lot of money. I can imagine that people looking at the Madoff uh, investment firm never would have imagined, based on his portfolio, based on his status, based on everything that was happening with his firm, that they were going to give their money and see it vanish and evaporate into thin air. Chris Zane, however, is a different story. Chris Zane, at a very, very young age, 12 as a matter of fact, began fixing bicycles in his parents' East Haven, Connecticut garage. And at 16 years of age, while he was working for a bike shop, the gentleman was going to close up his business, and Chris Zane, at 16 years of age, went to his parents and said, I want to take over that bike shop. He borrowed $23,000 from his grandfather. Now, what a grandfather is that? That grandfather must have seen some real potential in that young man. Sure, sure, I'll give you $23,000. He saw something in his grandson that motivated him to believe that he would be able to make something of this business that had just failed. So Chris took over this business. His mother tended the store while he was at school. And in his first year, he racked up $56,000 in sales. And now, currently, Chris Zane, decades later, is expecting to bring in $21 million just a few years ago. The growth rate of his business is seeing 23.5% increases over the last 30 years. I'd like to invest in something like that, wouldn't you? You know where I'm going with this, don't you? I want to propose to you this morning that Adventist education is one of the greatest investments that you can ever make, the returns of which are far more valuable than the perishable dollars and cents of this life because you are investing in a life not only to see the dividends in this world, but more importantly, you are investing in a life that is going to have an impact throughout eternity. Can you think of a better investment than that? 
Ellen White knew the value of Adventist education, which is why she said this in Gospel Medical Messenger, December 3, 1913. She said, in localities where there is a church, a school should be established. If there are no more than six children to attend, a teacher should be employed who will educate the children in the truths of the Word of God, which, notice this, which are so essential in these last days. And this was written in 1913. Over a hundred years ago, Ellen White was saying it was important because it was the last days then. How about now as we near the coming of Jesus even more so? She said it is essential in these last days that these schools should be established. And then she goes on to say, in which it is so important for them, these students, to understand. She also says in Child Guidance, page 307, wherever there are a few Sabbath keepers, the parents should unite in providing a place for a day school where their children and youth can be instructed. They should employ a Christian teacher who, as a consecrated missionary, shall educate the children in such a way as to lead them to become missionaries. Let teachers be employed who will give a thorough education in the common branches, the Bible being made the foundation and the life of all study. What textbook did she say? The Bible being made the foundation of the life and the life of all study. Over the years, since the inception of Adventist education, we have seen some tremendous investors. People who have seen a vision. People who have been called by God to use their means to enhance the work of training young people to know Jesus and to share Jesus with a dying world. One of those individuals is someone that I'm acquainted with, and maybe many of you are. Dr. Arthur Weaver, 13 years ago, had a burden on his heart to start the Christian Education Scholarship Endowment. And for those of you in the Michigan Conference, you may be familiar with this endowment. This endowment was set up to help support financially students that would have challenges being in our schools if this endowment did not exist. And over the past 13 years, hundreds of thousands of dollars and many students have been able to attend both at the elementary, the secondary, and even the collegiate level Adventist educational institution. You should hear the letters that I receive because once a year, We get together with Dr. Weaver chairing this committee. His sons are also a part of it. We get together and we talk about the endowment. We put work into the endowment. And then applications are taken and reviewed, and the funds are dispersed. And at these meetings, we review some of the thank you letters that come in from individuals who have benefited 
their children or even the students themselves from the opportunity to have Adventist education as an option. Listen to this. Since the passing of my husband, it is only by God's grace that my daughter has been able to remain in an Adventist school. Thank you for helping to answer our prayers. Another one, what an amazing opportunity you have given my children. Now more than ever, it is important for children to be trained up according to God's will. My husband and I are so grateful for your generosity. Without your support, we financially would not have been able to send them there. God has answered our fervent prayers through your help. Thank you for believing it is God's will to give our children this education and for making an eternal difference in their lives. May the Lord richly bless all of you, this parent said. And lastly, from a student who wrote a thank you note. I would like to thank you again for caring about my situation and giving me the help I need. It is always a pleasure to have God in our lives and to help people who are having troubles. But you know, there's only so much funding available. Even though this fund is able to give out approximately $100,000 a year, we are still falling short in our ability to meet all of the needs. You see, my secretary, Sherry, she will put the list together of all the applications, and then we will look at how much money is available, and we are never able to give funds to every single applicant. We have to go down the list and have a cutoff, unfortunately, because there isn't enough funds to meet all of the needs. In my almost two decades, friends, of working in Adventist education, it is hard for me to remember a time where there have not been financial challenges for our institutions. I remember when I was principal of Indiana Academy, we experienced the same thing. When my business manager Lyle Litzenberger and I sat down, and he had done a study across the spectrum of a few years looking at the financial situation. In even one year's difference from one year to the next, Indiana Academy families went from 50% being able to pay tuition fully to 20% in one year. And that trend is not isolated to one situation. It is across the spectrum, across the North American division. Now, there are some places where schools are not facing financial challenges. But I will tell you, more likely than not, most Adventist institutions are experiencing financial challenge. I see this as superintendent from a very broad view within my own conference. We have had to have reductions of staffing because of loss of tuition income. I have seen churches who have had to pull out of being constituent members of a school because of the lack of finances. I have seen families repeatedly not able to pay tuition. And the percentage of families needing financial aid is only continuing to grow. As superintendent, I am interested 
in enrollment numbers, yes, that is important. We want as many young people in our schools as possible. But speaking solely from a financial standpoint, enrollment is not necessarily a barometer of financial health. The percentage of families who are able to pay their bill is a more accurate picture of the financial help, health rather of a school than just mere enrollment. You can have huge enrollment numbers, but if a huge percentage of that enrollment requires financial assistance, your school can still be struggling mightily to meet their bottom line budget numbers. As a matter of fact, over a seven-year period that my business manager at Indiana Academy looked over, the year that the school was the most financially viable was a year when we had the fewest students because it was a higher percentage of those students who were able to pay full tuition. More and more of our dear families need financial help. And when we look specifically at our secondary schools who have tuition rates of 15000 or more, this issue is even compounded. So what do we do? Well, I know one thing. God does not have a down economy in heaven. God has unlimited resources. And so if we are faithful, I believe that God is going to sustain and bless us, but we have to ask ourselves difficult questions. And we have to challenge one another with the realities that we are facing and the impact that those realities are having in the ability for us to carry forward the ministry of Seventh-day Adventist education. Or, I will also add, the mission and the, the efforts of the church at large to carry forward the work in these last days. It's easy for us, sometimes, to look around and to see what would sometimes be low-hanging fruit. And I'm going to share a perspective with you. Some of you may not agree with this, and I respect that. I think we have to live in a culture within our church where we can have open and honest discussions and still have respect and love for one another. When we look at the challenges that we face financially in our educational institutions, I would propose to you, dear friends, that state and federal funds are not the answer. The reason for this, and I believe this with all of my heart, and I'm deeply convicted about this, is because the minute that we hook ourselves into state funding or federal funding, we have just hurt and limited our ability to be free to carry forward the morals and the standards that we have as Seventh-day Adventist institutions. It will make our work much more challenging if we are taking funds from institutions that have protections for specific lifestyles, specific things that go in contrast 
to our stance as a church. And we have seen in the news and in, and in litigation these kinds of scenarios playing out which has made the work of those specific entities much more difficult. And yesterday, with the Supreme Court's action and their vote of protection for a specific group of individuals, it will make the work and the ability to carry forward the moral principles of our institutions and our churches that much more difficult if we are in a position where we could be leveraged against. Now, I say this with respect and love because there are different opinions, and I hope that you will respect my opinion also. Let us look now at Haggai. Haggai, one of the shortest books in the Bible. Haggai, starting in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. There's only two chapters in the whole book. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? You see, the children of Israel were supposed to be building the temple, rebuilding it. It had been torn down, and they were brought to Jeru- back to Jerusalem to be able to rebuild the temple and to restore it for the people. But instead, they were building their own houses and putting fancy furnishings on them and not prioritizing the temple of the Lord. And then the Lord said in verse 5, Consider your ways. Look at what's been happening. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. I love this. He who earns wages earns wages and puts them into a bag with holes. Now, I brought a bag with me this morning. I was a bag boy way, way, way back. Now, for those of you that are too young to remember that, back in the day, the, the grocery stores, the teller would, would type in the cost of the groceries. Then they got to the point where they could scan them. But when they would, when they would type in the groceries or scan the grocery items, they would put them down on a long belt, and I, the bag boy, would be standing there, and I would be putting the groceries in. So this concept of earns wages to put in a bag with holes has a special meaning to me because I worked in a grocery store and was a bag boy. Now, what we would always say back then, now they don't, of course, they just give you the plastic bag. We would say paper or plastic. And we would always hope that they would say paper. You know why? Because if you wanted to be fast and be a bagger, you wanted paper because it could stand on its own and you could just put those items in really quick. 
And then when he said plastic, oh. So I have a plastic bag with me because I, I went to Meyer to get a few things. How many of you have ever gone to the grocery store and you've put too many items or, or there have been too many items put into your bag? You, the, the person checking out didn't double bag. And so every, it, there was, it was too heavy. And next thing you know, all of your groceries are, are down on the ground. It's frustrating. But can you imagine? You know, imagine a money bag. Can you imagine earning a living? Earning wages? And every time you put them into the bag, your money bag, they just aren't there. And you look and they're gone. Friends, one of the reasons why a bag will get a hole in it is if the contents are too heavy for the capacity of the bag to hold them. Did you hear what I said? Sometimes the reason a bag will break is because the contents of the bag are heavier than the bag's capacity to hold them. Maybe the book of Haggai has some counsel for us today because there's a powerful correlation with the book of Haggai and the book of Revelation. Turn with me quickly to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14 you see the picture of the seven churches, each given counsel, each representing a specific time in the Christian era, each church legitimately existing at the time John wrote from the Isle of Patmos, but also referencing specific time periods in the Christian experience, Laodicea being the current experience of our church. The Laodicean church. Revelation 3, starting in verse 14. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And here's the kicker. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. A people putting money into bags with holes because we have too much. We are rich and increased with goods and the capacity that God gave us to have the things that we have was not meant for us to be so engorged with the things of this world. Oh, friends, 
We are the church of Laodicea struggling as we are rich with material goods and yet poor, blind, wretched, and naked. Shouldn't we think about building up the temple of the Lord? We do not and cannot allow it to go to ruins. What would it be, friends, if all Seventh-day Adventists paid a faithful tithe to the Lord? What impact would that have on the financial struggles of our schools and our churches? What would happen if we as a people stopped building our own houses and built the temple of the Lord and sacrificed as in the days of old? What would happen to this work? What is the temple? Yes, the temple in Haggai's day was a physical temple, but of course today we understand from 1 Corinthians 6.19 that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. When we invest in the life of a young person, we are building up the temple of God. And it is worth every penny because it has eternal ramifications. I was talking to my parents on the way down to Berrien, and we had seen on our children's school bill, I have four children, and we are supporting Adventist education, and it's a blessing, but it is expensive even for a conference worker. And we noticed that our bill was not as high as we had anticipated. And we suspected and called my parents, and they admitted that they were supporting our children to be in Adventist school. And I remember my mom saying just a couple of days ago, Jeremy, it was done for you, and so we want to do it for your kids when we can. We view it as an investment. Friends, I believe that Adventist education, if it follows the mission that the Lord has for it, He will bless it financially. Adventist education does need your financial support, but yet, friends, listen to me carefully. Maybe we need the blessing of giving to Adventist education more than Adventist education needs the blessing of receiving your financial support. Maybe, just maybe, there are things that we are holding on to in this life that God wants us to let go of and put to eternal use before we won't be able to anymore. Little maid, little maid, there in Syria, waiting for Captain Naaman to come back. Yes, 
She was stolen away from her loved ones, her family, her real parents. But I suspect that there was a fondness that existed between Little Maid and her captive parents. Why else would she have shared with her mistress about the healing that could take place in Israel? If Captain Naaman was the one that took her away from her parents, that, that bought her at market or however that happened, she probably would have had some serious resentment and thought he can go ahead and die with his leprosy. But no, there was love between them, I believe. And there's little maid waiting for Captain Naaman to come home. Can you imagine if Captain Naaman would not have bathed in the Jordan River? Can you imagine if Captain Naaman would instead have come home with his leprosy and tried to find his own healing in a place that did not contain God's blessing? Praise God that the story turned out the way it did. The story in Haggai is one that turned out much, much different than most of the other prophetic admonitions that were given to the people of God. The people of God responded positively to Haggai's counsel, and they actually built up the temple of the Lord. And friends, later on in Haggai, the book says that the glory of the temple was greater than the glory of the previous temple. And I propose to you today that the glory of Adventist education by God's grace and our collective support can be greater today at the end of time than it even was in its inception in the days of Ellen White when it started in 1872. Let's band together and make it happen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, everything we have is yours. We are stewards. Lord, may we be faithful to support your work, to support young people that desperately need to be in our schools. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.